Today is the last Sunday of the church calendar year. And I was in a Facebook conversation last night with Scott Gunn, who now heads up the Forward Day by Day publications, which some of you are familiar with. And he was having a grump about what to call this Sunday. Because if you look in the prayer book, it says Proper 29. And if that means something to you, let me know after the service. We also say it's the last Sunday after Pentecost, but I have too few fingers to count Sundays after Pentecost. It's also known as Christ the King Sunday because one of the popes in the first quarter of the last century decided to name it as such as a counterpoint to rising secularism and nationalism that was gripping Europe at the time. But we don't call it Christ the King Sunday in the prayer book, but in the lectionary we do. So which is it? It's a good Episcopal question. Both and, right? Or let's just live into the tension of the conundrum. <laughs> Speaking of conundrums, yesterday I decided I was going to take some Thanksgiving time and go to the movies. So I went to the theater, which was crowded, and I sat down, and for 30 minutes I was inundated with advertisements. And movie theater seats don't come with a mute button. And it went on and on with all of the cheesy early commercial Christmas advertisements, along with advertisements for Cougar Town, followed by an advertisement for divorce mediation in Marin County. And then I got it. I said, now I know what Jesus means. My kingdom is not from this world. But I was there to see Lincoln, which is a magnificent film. If you have not seen it, I strongly recommend it. And there's a scene in Lincoln right at the end of the Civil War, trying not to give too many spoilers away here. Lincoln and his wife are riding in a carriage through one of the parks in Washington, and Molly turns to him and says, how would you like to take a trip? The war's over. And he says, yeah, it'd be nice to take a train trip out west. He said, no, 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 I mean, leave the country. Where would you like to go? He says, I'd like to go to Jerusalem, to the Holy Land. I would like to walk where David and Solomon walk. So it's fitting today, perhaps, that we start with a reading from King David on his deathbed, the oracle, the prophecy he is about to tell. A strange prophecy in a way because David is talking about an everlasting lineage, a legacy that he wishes to leave for the people of Israel, a line that will not end. And yet, if anybody knows the Old Testament at all, you remember that not shortly after David dies, corruption sets in and stays with the kings of Israel. And eventually the monarchy will be divided, the kingdom will be divided, and things will fall apart over and over again. And prophets will come and go, reminding the kings how awful they are. <laughs> 
Or we have this scene from the Gospel. Fast forwarding about a thousand years from the reign of King David. And in the Gospel of John, this passage is part of Jesus' trial. It's not a trial like you and I would recognize. This is not a trial to determine whether Jesus is innocent or guilty. Trials in Jesus' day were really more like sentencing hearings. And Jesus has been brought by the religious authorities to the Praetorium in Jerusalem. And Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor, who's there to keep the peace, comes out. And you can almost hear the wheels turning. Who have you brought to me this time? Who is it now? And he has this strange conversation with Jesus about kingship. Now, there are a couple of important things to remember as we remember today as maybe Christ the King, maybe not. As we hear this conversation between Jesus and Pilate, Nowhere in the Gospel of John does Jesus refer to himself as king. Nowhere. He is called king once by Nathaniel, one of his followers. And then there are at least one, well, there's at least one attempt, maybe a few attempts, to make Jesus king by force, by the crowds. But nowhere does Jesus say, I am king. Nowhere. And so Jesus has been accused of proclaiming himself king, and he has this conversation with Pilate. And to Pilate, he must be a very strange man. Now, Pilate has been sent by the Roman Empire to this dusty little country on the eastern edge of the Mediterranean to keep the peace. He's got soldiers and authority and he knows all the ins and outs of the people who are in power in Jerusalem and he works with them. His major job is to keep tribute flowing to Rome, keep the money flowing in the right direction and to do whatever it takes to keep the peace. And so here one day Jesus is brought in as just another rabble rouser and Pilate is listening. Is this perhaps a pretender for the throne who might shake things up enough to foment a rebellion? If so, I need to get my troops at the ready. Pilate, you see, speaks the language of power, and that is all that he can understand. And Jesus is saying strange things like, my kingdom is not from this world. And Pilate is like, come again? You're here before me, why? So you, you are a king? And Jesus says, if I were a king, my followers would be trying to protect me. It's almost like a comic moment where Jesus looks behind him and nobody's standing there. You can almost hear the wheels in Pilate's mind start to grind. This fellow is talking in riddles. Who is he? And of course, Jesus starts on this beautiful Yoenhin language about truth. Come to speak the truth. And some of you will remember the line that comes next. Pilate's response to that, perhaps one of the most cynical lines in all of scripture. What is truth? 
Pilate doesn't deal in truth. He doesn't deal in that kind of language. He deals in the language of power. What is it when we proclaim a man king who doesn't talk using the language of power? David spent much of his life getting tangled up in power and getting into big trouble as a result. So did his son Solomon. So did all the kings who followed him. And the more they got attracted to power as moths were attracted to light, the more corrupt the kingdom became until finally it fell apart. What does it mean to say Jesus, a man without power, a man with no one standing behind him, what does it mean to call him king? After Jesus is crucified, one wonders, does Pilate think that day stands out for him at all? Or was he just one of a parade of rabble-rousers and quasi-rebels, pretenders even, whom he crucified to keep the peace? Did Pilate go to his deathbed wondering who was that guy, Jesus? I wonder. And yet, who is remembered by a third of the world's population today? Pilate's empire fell apart. Empires have risen and fallen apart since. Somehow, this man who didn't proclaim himself king, but others said might be a king, this man who did not use the kingly language of power, but the kingly language of truth survives. What does that mean to you and me this day? That is the conundrum of the last Sunday of the church year. A conundrum that I urge you not to solve quickly, but to hold in your hearts. Rest in the question don't go looking for easy answers. One thing I will note for this beautiful assembly here gathered today is that if we proclaim Jesus Christ as king, indeed he is not a king of power, not even today. Don't let looks fool you, the fancy clothes, the nice place to worship, Anybody who has led at all in this community knows we hold it together, sometimes with the barest of threads, sometimes by scraping pennies together, sometimes by sheer force of will and faith. It is not because we are powerful that we are gathered here today. If you want power, there are lots of other places in the Bay Area to find it and to participate in it, right? Not here. This, interestingly enough, is not a community of power. It is a community of invitation. 
an invitation to find truth, as Jesus might have said to Pilate. Everything you see around you is about invitation. James, whom we will be baptizing shortly, is being baptized into a community where he will be invited to participate, and when he is old enough, he may decide to leave it. That is his right, as it is all of ours. No one is held here by compulsion, because we are not a community of power. We are a community of invitation. The ministries you see posted over here on this wall, in this map that we put together a few Sundays ago, these are all ministries of invitation. Not power. Not really. Think about it. Nobody who participates in those ministries is forced to be there. This chart over here, which shows the giving of this parish, no one is forced to give. We don't have the power to tax. We have no authority to do that. We get nothing from the government. We get nothing actually from the diocese. We give to the diocese. This is about invitation. And what does it mean when you come forward to the rail to receive? When you put one hand over the other. To that you are also invited. We're invited to participate in a kingdom that is not from this world. A kingdom where you are invited to come with open hearts and open hands and offer yourselves for something that just might transcend all the kingdoms of power that we know. Is that good news to you? Perhaps it is. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace and we hope to greet you in person very soon.